happening now. We'd like to welcome our viewers from across North America and around the world. This is the EdTech Situation Room, episode 222. Isn't that cool? For June the 9th, 2021. My name is Wes Fryer. I'm coming to you from Oklahoma City. And, you know, I just have to say it again on the show. Doesn't Dr. Neifer just look radiant tonight, ladies and gentlemen? He knows how to apparently light himself up. Um, I think I've just got the, yeah, very stark white light coming at me. But anyway, I am here in Oklahoma City where I am the technology integration and innovation specialist at the Cassidy School in the midst of the first of two weeks of Minecraft camp virtually. And we have had... Uh, a really, really good time. We have a lot, uh, it's just a four-day camp, and we have the fourth day tomorrow. And I'm very blessed to be working with about five different high school students who basically make the job super, super easy. Uh, so, Dr. Neifer, how are things in Missoula, Montana, besides being, you know, just very radiantly lit? I, I guess this tells, you know, when, when you go to Lowe's or Home Depot and they say, would you like the white light or the warm light? I mean, you've chosen the warm light tonight. I have chosen warm light tonight. That's indeed true. So other than apparently I'm a glowing appropriate, it's wonderful here in Missoula, Montana tonight, where I am the assistant director and curriculum director of the Montana Digital Academy, which is Montana State Virtual School, located on the beautiful University of Montana campus. And even though the weather here has been pretty wacky for even for a Western Montana spring, it snowed pretty heavily three weeks ago, and then the next week it was 97, 97, 97, and then the next week it was moderate, and this week, uh, today, it was just a high of 62 and, and cold enough that I almost turned the furnace back on, and then uh, next week, um, it's supposed to be back up in the high 90s again, so uh, we're bouncing up and down, and it hailed for about 20 minutes uh, this afternoon, so it's it's pretty bouncy weather here in Missoula. You said 97, like 97 degrees Fahrenheit. You guys have hit already? Yeah, we did that uh, wow. last week or the week before. But, yeah, wow. and we had to uh, uh, last year. One of the things that my wife and I decided to do was to um, – uh, take the, we, we, we put most of our spare money towards travel. Travel is our passion. So when that stopped around March 2020, um, our travel budget, not only did we have uh, a number of, of small and large trips that immediately fell apart. And so the money for those uh, was suddenly available. We decided that one of the ways we treat ourselves being stuck in our home is that we put in central air. And so uh, we did uh, get the central air up and running uh, for that first uh, 97 degree day. Cause it was pretty warm and Man, um, yep. It gets a little sticky uh, in the house when, when you do that. But uh it's supposed to be a big fire season again. I, uh, uh, mm. Montana's governor, uh, 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 did his public briefing today with, with officials. And I, and I, I thought I heard the headline was above average fire season, which for us will be probably pretty smoky at some point. So we hope, you know, fingers crossed that, uh, you know, we can wait until the end of the summer and then it's a short fire season. So. Oh, goodness. Well, um, we are. I, I predict we'll mention a few things about Apple tonight. What are we going to do tonight on this show, Dr. Neifer? Well, we like to take a look at the headlines, uh, mostly in technology, although we tend to pull some interesting things from around science and sometimes larger international national headlines. And we kind of shoot them through the prism of education to see, 
if the larger factors of the tech world may impact your classroom, school, district, IT department, etc. And tonight we have several categories as we usually do. And of course, we will be talking Apple tonight. Um, we have uh, the tech correction, which is our kind of description of the last five years or so as we kind of figure out where tech's going in our world. Uh, connectivity, which is becoming an increasingly important topic as money is spent in that direction. Privacy, social media, a new category tonight called browser wars. Um, security, I will have a shameless commerce note uh, for those uh, that may be looking for a good deal to score. And then, of course, we'll end our time tonight with our Geeks of the Week. So, Wes, if you don't mind, I'd just like to share a quick article, uh, and it has to do with something that I can share a practical example of today. This is from the BBC on April 25th. It was literally the quickest citation I could find tonight to talk about. Uh, Cisco was talking about that they expect six-month delays uh, in shipment of new products right now. And the reason why I wanted to cite an article here was I had an experience today that um, I was making some recommendations to a colleague uh, uh, on, on a computer upgrade, uh, which is, you know, I'm sure uh, Dr. Fryer does that quite often, too, when people are looking for new computers. And they were looking for a Windows machine that was on the lighter side but still had a larger screen and a full-size keyboard because it was for someone doing bookkeeping work. And... I went to Lenovo, which is my preferred PC and Chromebook uh, manufacturer. I, I tend to prefer Lenovo's over any other brand. And I custom configured a pretty good deal um, and, you know, kind of what I was looking for. And uh, uh, Lenovo let me know that it was a minimum of a four-month delay before they'd able, be able to ship that computer. Now, it was custom, right? Uh, and I ended up finding two very close alternatives that were not only sitting in a warehouse in the United States, but were on sale. So I was able to get uh, what I needed and, and, and won't have to wait four months. But I, I, I'm almost certain that anyone listening to this podcast doesn't need to know this. But if you are considering a purchase for this fall, it's probably too late in a lot of scenarios, but don't delay in ordering now, in part because if you wait until fall to order when shipping times may be shorter, you might end up waiting longer because you're not on a wait list. And in fact, I know of a ton of schools and districts that I've heard first, second, and third-hand stories about that put in orders April, May, June last year, where they showed up in October, November. Uh, one I know uh, ordered last May and ended up receiving, I think it was Chromebooks in February of this year. And it's likely to get better at some point just because, you know, we're starting to slowly uh, uh, leave the, the doom of COVID, especially as it relates to uh, chip shortages and electronic shortages around the world, but it's still going to be a factor. And I guess, I you know, at, at risk of being the ultimate bummer, I, too, feel like that things are getting better, maybe a lot better in regards to COVID. There's still impacts, though, and I also believe very strongly that those impacts uh, will be wide and varied and last a long time. And some of them will be more practical like this, and others of them will be more subtle. Yes, uh, we are all, as teachers, getting new MacBook Air in-processor laptops, um, which were delayed and uh, are supposed to, you know, be here anytime kind of thing. And, and thankfully, they were ordered a number of months ago, uh, Chromebooks as well. 
um, we were able to get the Dell Chromebooks. But I think if there, if we had gone with other models, you know, anyway, that was part of the, of the purchasing decision was what, what are we going to be able to make sure that we have this summer right. to be able to hand kids in, in August? Uh, we're going to talk, I'm sure, about WWDC a little bit today. And one of the things that I was listening to, uh, MacBreak Weekly, I guess. I think that was one. Um, and uh, they were saying, you know, why do why wasn't there any hardware announcements? And there's probably several reasons for that. Uh, but one of them could be the fact that we're, we're still having these chip shortages. And, yeah. you know, the M-processor Macs are fantastic. But you know, somebody was saying they don't need to promote them anymore. Or, or anyway, just as far as as far as the supply chains, the, this, the, it's going to take a while for these things to to catch up. Um, there all is also different when you have virtual events to pull everything off and, right. uh, you know, Apple's able to, to do those much more affordably and with uh, some more regularity, I think, because and, of the fact they're virtual. And I would also note too, that, um, uh, th- there are a lot of people that were very disappointed at the lack of hardware. And in fact, there was, uh, some interesting Twitter traffic because a number of the kind of, uh, uh Apple hardware prognosticators had expected, I mean, there was a wide range of possible, uh, uh hardware releases that, that they were talking about. And it's not unusual for there to be hardware releases at WWDC, but, uh, a lot of people were pretty annoyed because some people were playing kind of, uh, used retail value bingo with their Apple products, uh, selling, uh, there were a lot of folks that were anticipating getting rid of 2006, seven and eight era MacBooks. um, to I'm sorry, 2016, 17, 18 era MacBooks. Although I do know a couple of folks that, 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 that carry around 2009 MacBooks still, um, the, uh, and they were doing it in hopes to getting maximum resale value, uh, to then, you know, purchase, uh, uh, an M1, M1X, M2, uh, based, uh, uh, MacBook because that was very much, uh, what the prognosticators were guessing. But of course, you know, the, the problem here is that, uh, they were not released. And I guess, I, I would guess that supply chain has very much to do with it. Because remember, Apple's not manufacturing their own stuff. They may be making chips and that they're designing the M1 chip, but it's, it's companies like Samsung that are actually producing these chips that, uh, and oftentimes it's different manufacturers depending on what year and what capacity is available. Apple's also worked a lot to diversify their supply chain and they pulled a lot of their, uh, 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 manufacturing contracts out of China proper last year in part due to COVID also because there was uh, concern uh, on the United States part, um, uh, action in the U S Senate today in part to deal with the fact that, uh, uh, China uh, seems to have a stranglehold on a lot of electronics manufacturing, and the Senate uh, passed a bill that they're handing on to the House that puts $250 billion to try to make America more competitive in that, which may include even having Chinese companies manufacture in the United States uh, as, as one solution here to kind of bulk up our, our capacity. But in countries like Vietnam, Thailand, um, India, Apple, uh, you know, is competitive with a lot of other companies that are also trying to sell, you know, their wares. And so, again, I, I would guess that that this is probably something that a lot of folks are talking about uh, in local districts. If you have any major technology initiatives coming, I know there's a lot of ESSER money running around that is is uh, providing opportunities. Um, but just you know, beware that it may not be as easy as you know going to your favorite favorite vendor and, and or sending off a PO. 
Well, on that note, that's a good segue to an article that Susan Bearden shared this last week. Um, and I have this under the connectivity headline. This is from Edweek Market Brief on May the 12th. So this is actually about a month old. But the headline is FCC finalizes $7 billion connectivity fund. What districts and vendors need to know? And <clears throat> this has mistakenly, according to the article, been considered just an extension of E-rate. This is different. This is a different pot of money. They're going to, the FCC is dispersing this and they are using E-rate procedures and forms in order to get this money out to districts. But what this is going to allow first is for schools to apply for funding for devices and for hotspots. Um, there's limits. It's not going to, uh, by smartphones, the article said, despite, you know, major lobbying by some smartphone manufacturers, um, but buying devices for students this year. And then if there's funding available or, or remaining after those <clears throat> proposals are uh, are funded, and this is how E-rate kind of, you know, works. What, what was that? Category two, you know, they would they would fund it to up to a certain level. And then anyway, um, it's, it's going to be similar. But but. Districts can apply for reimbursement for devices purchased in the last year for, again, um, you know, connectivity and, and student devices. I think this is really exciting. Uh, you know, I <clears throat> I wrote a grant shoot, back in uh, the early 2000s, I guess, that, you know, brought laptops to uh, two of our first West Texas school districts, Floyd Data, Texas and Post Texas. Um, and then uh, there was a this was the Texas Immersion Text, the, what is it? Texas Technology Immersion Pilot Project, text tip. And so anyway, uh, you know, that was just sort of early days. I mean, you had in Rico County, Virginia and other places that were doing laptops, but you know, it's just become a much, much more of a, of a norm now. So I think it's, uh, exciting and positive, but given the article that you just said, you know, maybe great to get all this funding available. Hey, guess what? You're probably not going to be able to place an order today. Uh, and, and have devices in hand to give students or, or teachers in August. Yep, absolutely. And um, the other thing I, I, I worry is not the right word, but I mean, I, I am also excited about all the money available for connectivity. Uh, 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 there's hundreds of millions of dollars being spent in Montana to improve rural access. But um, I hope that even if they can't get everything installed like they want to because of equipment shortages, that they will, you know, uh, be able to utilize as flexible spending, uh, government spending uh, policies as possible to wait until there is the, the hardware available it is a real opportunity. And as I've talked about, you know, dozens of times now uh, at, uh, on the podcast, Montana, particularly uh, rural Montana, which is much more rural than typically what would be considered rural East Coast, uh, 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 in East Coast states, right? Like we're talking about very remote areas that we're going to need a diversity of solutions to make sure that people have connectivity. And frankly, and I think it, it, we know that in spades now that, um, you know, the uh, connectivity is, is really critical for, for, for financial growth, for job growth, for, um, you know, competitiveness. And so I hope we continue to do our things there. One of the uh, caveats that's mentioned in that market brief article is that rural schools are going to receive like a 5% bump. So the prioritization is going to be based on free and reduced lunch as the E-rate you know, funding is uh, for category two. Category one is connectivity and everyone just pretty much gets that. But category two is like your hardware and, and for E-rate traditionally, you know, that's been infrastructure, you know, uh, switches, routers, uh, network, network infrastructure. So, um, 
it's going to prioritize that for, for rural schools. Do you have any, Oh, I have a Starlink update and I want to see if you have one. I saw Starlink. We were at my sister's house uh, in Liberty, Missouri over the Memorial day weekend. And we were, <clears throat> sitting out in the driveway, uh, enjoying their neighbor's solo stove, which is actually a really cool, like 100% combustible fire ring. Um, it's pretty cool. They're expensive, but anyway, they don't, uh, they don't produce smoke. But, uh, Shelly, my wife just looked up and said, look at that. It's Starlink. And we've talked about this and knew these were happening. Um, but it had just gone up, uh, a few days ago from SpaceX from a Falcon 9 rocket. I think it was like 60 more satellites. And so it's this train of lights going across and it was super cool. And we had like 12, 14 of us all sitting around there and nobody had, nobody had seen it before. So it was super cool. So, uh, your parents still, attempting to use Starlink and how's that going? Am I still connected? You are so connected. Your, your, your video's frozen and uh, you were getting blurry on me a minute ago. So you're, you're there now, but a little blurry. So Jason, maybe I, I really wasn't cursing Starlink. I promise Elon Musk. We uh, were just talking before the show started I think Jason is jacked in directly. Of course, it's all, it's possible. This is my connection too. So, um, although my clock is still ticking, I don't know. Um, Starlink, I think, is it like a hundred? It's, it's a fit. It's $50 a month, but you have to buy the hardware. So Jason has completely frozen at this point. So. Am I continuing to record or is he? We are, uh, Peggy George is not able to join us tonight and Jason has dropped. So I think, I think <clears throat> as we talk about connectivity, he was having a, having a challenge there. So, but maybe he's back. He's back, ladies and gentlemen. Talk about Starlink and the lightning yeah, strike. Yeah. I don't know what that yeah. was. Thanks, Elon. Um, interestingly enough, I'm on my Wi-Fi hotspot because, or my, my phone hotspot because I don't know what really happened there. The update is it's my in-laws that, that live, uh, with terrible internet access and currently they have a cobbled together solution, uh, that I, that I created for them, which is essentially using AT&T, uh, mobile internet to serve their house and, um, the, I, I guess, I, I don't know, how, don't know how else to put this other than to say my father-in-law, uh, kind of box at the expense of it, right? Like he, uh, it is a $500 investment and I think it's only like 60 or $70 a month, yeah. which, you know. But, but it's for, a far, it's a formidable initial investment you gotta make. It, it is, yeah. Uh, and it too that, that one would, would definitely assume in one to two years that um, internet uh, or that that technology will improve and evolve and maybe even the home uh, stuff improves and evolves as well. Um, I do know three or four, maybe five people now that do this, that live in very rural areas that have been very happy with it. It's interesting because there does seem to be, uh, and I, I want to say there was a Verge review of this a couple of weeks ago, maybe a couple months ago, that talked about how they thought that it was way too much hype and they had problems with trees and 
So uh, I will give a shout out to Lon Sybin, who has a great YouTube channel that does uh, hardware reviews. In fact, uh, he's someone that I give money every month on Patreon to because of, of, of how I trust trust his reviews on things. In fact, he was helpful today when I was um, helping my colleague uh, uh, look for um, uh, uh, look for a, a laptop uh, to purchase uh, from Lenovo. In fact, I, I watched a couple of reviews before I, I pulled the trigger there. Not to turn this into a spelling bee, but not to turn this into a spelling bee, uh, but how do you spell his name? <laughs> um, I'm not sure. It's lon.tv. I can tell you that if that's helpful at all. L L O N dot TV. Okay, there you go. And, and yeah, wonderful Reviews channel. Tech channel. Yeah, 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 wonderful awesome. channel. Um, yeah. and, uh, and again, I, I give him money every month via Patreon because of how much I trust his reviews. But, um, the lawn's brother, I think it's, his, I think it's his brother lives somewhere in, I think it's rural Vermont where there's literally no internet a- access options other than the previous solution with Usenet, which is expensive and terrible, uh, uh, as a, as a solution. But, but, uh, he helped his brother set up the, uh, Starlink and said it's been a real, uh, a real godsend for, 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 uh, his brother and their family because they now have legitimate access. Whereas, you know, before it was, uh, you know, uh, wonky at best. So I, I'm convinced that there's no one solution to the broadband problem, right? And I know that that sounds, uh, uh, you know, a, a little obvious, hokey, but the bottom line is, is there is a lot going on here that we need to be very cautious about. And also note that there is a, uh, there's a real opportunity here to put some real investment so that it, that it, whether there's a pandemic or not, Everyone in the United States, no matter where you live, should have access to at least one, if not two, very solid broadband options. As we talk about broadband and connectivity and face the difficulties, we've really not had much of a problem on the show for weeks and weeks. Um, interestingly, Lon's latest upload two days ago is who to follow on the UFO UAP topic. So um, I am following him, but <clears throat> haven't haven't uh, watched him. And uh, let me just say as a related to that. What a great thing to do as we think about getting back to, to school, which we're not thinking about that yet. We just got rid of this, this crazy school year. But one of the best things that I did this last year differently in the past uh, is I spent some time having students share some of their favorite YouTube channels. And, you know, I said it had to be family friendly and that meant, you know, no profanity, uh, which ruled out a number of channels for some of my kids. These are fifth and sixth graders, by the way. But, um, you know, it is, it's amazing what kind, what the content that's out there. Uh, there's just some phenomenal, phenomenal stuff. Yeah. And, you know, th- this, that question and that conversation really epitomizes some of the essential characteristics of our information landscape today, which is so far from three main networks. Hey, it's Sunday night. Let's all watch Wild Kingdom. I mean, <laughs> it's such a different world from, from the, the world that, you know, I guess, except for young parents, I mean, that, that, mo- that many of us, I'm, I'm just getting to be an old guy, right? But anyway, <laughs> it's, uh, it is, it's a different world. And that is a great conversation and, and having conversations around, well, and I, and, and I, I definitely say in the midst of that conversation, hey guys, I'm not saying everybody needs to be on YouTube, uh, on YouTube, watching YouTube. I'm not saying that you need to be doing that. Um, but just on a show of hands, 
huge numbers of my kids are on YouTube watching channels, subscribing, very influenced by YouTubers. I mean, there's just a really important and rich media literacy conversations to have. Plus, there's the opportunity that you're going to find something that you're like, wow, that's really cool. I'm so glad you you shared that. And we had a number of channels like that that had, you know, some kind of STEM related content or history visualizations. Um, in fact, I'll drop into the show notes. I made a page on our classroom Google site. And let's see, I put it under resources. I called it media recommendations, family friendly movies, TV shows and YouTube channels by Cassidy, fifth and sixth graders. So I opened it up to be. Not just YouTube, because, you know, there's movies and other things like that, too. But cool. Thank you for well, recommending it, on TV. And I will uh, have to check him out a little more because I've subscribed to him. But I hadn't actually thought of that in quite a while, I guess. Well, and, and what I would say is that, like, obviously, I, my my entertainment diet is a mix of probably 50 or 60 percent traditional um, media sources uh, and, and I'm putting things like, you know, Netflix and uh, Hulu. Um, uh, I'm not subscribed right now to, to Hulu. HBO Max is one of my uh, 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 subscriptions. I also really love Discovery Plus, which is the new uh, subscription service that includes History Channel content, Discovery Channel content, TV content. Uh, that's also been a, a good pickup for me. It's like seven bucks a month for no advertising versions of that. That's, that's really great. But the rest of that is YouTube. And I probably subscribe to, I know I counted a couple of, of, of months ago. It's hundreds of channels I subscribe to. Obviously I don't, um, I, I don't watch hundreds of channels. There's just not time in the day to do that, especially since I have a job and, and in a life other than that. But I do really love uh, the channels I subscribe to, uh, there are, uh, 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 there are different, uh, themes that, that kind of weave throughout that, including, um, things like tool restoration, uh, uh, vintage tool, uh, uh, restoration sites, vintage technology, uh, sites, uh, some review sites, um, mobile tech review is, is another example of, of a great, uh, uh, tech site. And it's way I stay up when, you know, people ask me for tech recommendations, but, you know, ignoring the fact that there is a clear issue with recommendation engines and misinformation, which we've talked about a couple of times on the podcast. Um, it is still a wonderful place to share passion projects. And so I'm glad to hear that Wes, your kids were, uh, you know, engaging in that, like sharing their favorite channels um, and, and, and influencers. And, and one other way I know how much YouTube has integrated itself into uh, uh, the culture. This has been a while since I've had high school students uh, that, that uh, I was teaching, but I knew YouTube wasn't going anywhere when, uh, you know, pirating was going down of music. And one of the reasons why is because why would you bother when you can just stream the whole album on YouTube background, right? There was no reason uh, to engage in in, in uh, piracy shenanigans when you had that available to you. And and I think it's just a really, um, it's a special thing. And I hope we figure out a way to utilize that tool in a way that doesn't create other UG, but in general, it's such a great place to share your passions. It is. And those are good words to use too, as far as media diet, right? Because there's a lot of good <clears throat> wellness and digital citizenship and other kinds of conversations to enter in there. All right. Well, could we talk about WD, WWDC just a little bit? <laughs> yes. Well, and I'm going to have to, I, I, I did read all the articles on this. What I would say is that I'm interested in all this stuff, but 
it just seemed like such a, and I didn't watch, I didn't watch the video. Um, uh, I did read a couple of reviews of it saying it was another well uh, produced video. So I'm not surprised to hear that, that it went over well, but it's a lot of interesting, minute changes, I think. And, and that I'm not quite an Apple fanboy again to where this stuff was, was kind of jumping to my consciousness. Well, this is a, this is a two hour Apple ad basically right yeah uh there's no hardware this is all operating system and i watched all but the last essentially 15 minutes of the of the keynote um i was originally just going to watch and i i dropped in there i think well maybe i don't know if i think you'd put that one in the nine to five mac uh everything you know yep everything uh apple announced and there was several videos like that you know in 15 minutes the whole thing it was so packed with so many different things that it really begs the the question, like how much can you absorb and take in, you know, in terms of just this absolute fire hose. I mean, I was trying at one point to just have that on as background, but it was, it was useless to me because I needed to, you know, cognitively focus. And, and if I was going to, if that was going to do anything for me, I mean, it's not like I was just going to be passively absorbing. One of the things they, that, uh, I think again, it was MacBreak Weekly pointed out, you know, Apple, because of the virtual event is able to compress so much. And they, you know, when you're doing a live event, you lose quite a bit with transitions and things like that. Uh, so, um, uh, I don't know. I mean, here's, here's one of the things that stood out for me that I'm excited about as a, as an oral history guy and somebody who loves podcasting. Uh, they are building into iOS 15, which of course, this is the developer conference. So they're, they're releasing, you know, developer betas or whatever. And, and iOS 15 is not here yet for everybody. In fact, I should probably know the date when it's coming out. And I don't know that, but, um, in terms of audio, uh, they'll have an algorithm that's going to hone in on your voice and filter out using machine learning, you know, background noise and hums and other kinds of things. But if you want to get all that background noise, then there's going to be something called, you know, full spectrum audio or ambient or something. There's some other name uh, anyway that you're going to be able to to choose and select. But, yeah, I agree. There's just a host of different things um, you know, it's still very much focused on getting everybody to have an Apple device. Uh, interestingly, FaceTime has some updates, um, where you're going to be able to share a link to folks with an Android phone or just a browser, uh, with any kind of device to be able to join FaceTime. But Apple's really not going for the enterprise market to compete with Zoom or something like that. And they're really playing their privacy hand with all of this. And so, um, you know, it's not convincing me to, to run out and, and get their smart speaker. Um, but, you know, it, it certainly is. It is great to see the, the emphasis on privacy and, you know, the, um, you know, the, just we don't have to give away all this information and, you know, completely surrender ourselves to the surveillance capitalism gods. Uh, we, yep. We're having some good, some good pushback, but huh, yeah, it is, it, 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 it's kind of amazing that Apple as a company can get so many people to just, 
you know, talk about their products so much and really amplify, you know, what essentially is an advertisement for, uh, for, for the operating systems that they have. Systems, plural. Yep. Um, the, the, one other comment I'll have is that the watch me features are pretty interesting. So this idea that we can be separated, um, you know, geographically and then watching the same show, seeing each other. So you're going to be able to watch on your Apple TV, whatever this show is that works with the, the API. And then on your phone or your iPad, you can see all your friends and you'll be able to see everybody's reaction at the same time you're doing that. I think that's really interesting. And evidently there have been some attempts at doing that, but the, um, Again, MacBreak Weekly was saying the the implementations have not been you know fantastic, and so Apple, um, you know, can can do a nice job sometimes um, taking features that have been in, in other systems and you know being able to to pull those off. So, uh, any anything of the like thousand you know announcements yeah. that were there that that caught your eye? Well, and and I'm gonna um, I'm gonna have some free time next week. Um, I'm having a little bit of surgery next Wednesday to, uh, uh, I'm getting an artificial hip. So that's, I, one step, one step closer to becoming the ultimate knife Borg. But, um, uh, I, I do want to watch the whole thing in part because I do think the presentation, no one beats Apple on, on presenting this stuff and, and it is a commercial, but it's also hyped up stuff too. And I like that. I like the hype that comes with it, but there's two notes that, that I, I want to make here. The first one is that, um, iOS 15, so that's the uh, operating system that backs the uh, the iPhone. iOS 15 is compatible with iPhone 6S, which is a six-year-old smartphone. And I think that's an extraordinary commitment that Apple has to keeping hardware um, uh, 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 up-to-date with security updates. That's part of it, but also carrying around the phone. And, you know, there's been a lot of time in the past where Apple's been um, – Fairly unfairly accused of, of, of building obsolescence into their technology so that you'll go and buy, you know, the expensive thousand dollar phone, um, every two or three years instead of every five or six years. I would say that it's unlikely that I would find an iPhone 6S to be a successful, uh, daily carry uh, with the amount that I use my phone for work and play. But for most users, I would assume an iPhone 6S having the latest technology available to them. But to be clear, you know, Apple also has another trick that not every feature uh, always appear, every new feature appears in the older phones just because the hardware sometimes can't handle it. But from a security update standpoint, the fact, the fact that the 6S, which is, you know, was released in 2015, is able to get that latest update, which means it has at least another year of getting good security updates, and probably longer, actually, because they do update even past when they're, um, uh, 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 their older operating systems. I think that's a real marvel. I think it's something special that should be, um, you know, noted by their competitors. And I'm specifically talking about Android here. And I realize Android is a little problematic because it's such a diverse architecture, right? Like everyone, yes, Android runs on literally billions of devices around the world, but everyone from Google to uh, companies that you've never heard of that sell to uh, mass markets, uh, uh, you know, outside of of the uh, Western world, um, you know, the bottom line is, is that... uh, 
companies are responsible for it, and not every company is looking to sell a $1,000 cell phone to a high-end market that cares about security updates. But I do think it's a real marvel if they're going in that direction. Um, I didn't put any of the articles here because I want to use it before I make any comments, but there's been a lot of hand-wringing and then counter-hand-wringing about all the new iPad OS updates and whether or not it brings the iPad closer to becoming a laptop replacement. And I literally saw articles in both directions. Uh, uh, and I was going to watch, I, or I might have uh, watched uh, 30 seconds of a half dozen YouTube videos this weekend on this. One of them saying that uh, uh, iPad OS 15 will ruin the new M1 um, iPad Pro to um uh, you know, I, or, uh, iPad OS 15, the M1 iPad becomes the dominant player in this region. So, you know, if you want to talk about passion, the fanboys and girls of, uh, Apple world, um, uh, are pretty hard to beat on, on, on the passion uh, meter, but we'll have to see. And I want to install it myself. I use my iPad enough that I will not install a beta on that. I will wait until there's either a uh, kind of a gold master and install it, you know, a couple weeks early, but I do want to see what happens to the iPad uh, with the new updates. Okay. Uh, we literally just titled our last show iPad as laptop. No. So that's kind of funny. Um, all right. This is an iPad pro the last year plus, I guess I have been using this weekly, almost daily. Um, as what, what Apple has called sidecar. And so my MacBook yes. Pro Super will, cool feature. will, will allow me to connect to it. Usually every once in a while I'd have to restart the iPad or whatever. Um, but it would allow it to just be an extension and <clears throat> in the office where I've been, whatever that, that has, that's been fantastic. Uh, we, we have to do double entry on our grades because our student information system does not sync with Google Classroom and we use Google Classroom as our as our learning management system, um, and so anyway, that has been good. I literally just saw uh, Federighi uh, do that part of the demo, and it wasn't. It's not called Sidecar. It's called something like Universal Control. But what he showed, okay, and so here we're geeking out. I, I really should have worn my Apple shirt tonight, right? Uh, <laughs> what he what he showed was you had your your laptop, and then you just brought your iPad close. You didn't even do anything else and you just use your mouse and it just starts to drag over onto the iPad screen and then you can control it. You can use your trackpad, do whatever you want. And then he showed the same thing with an iMac. So continuity is this feature, which I have really enjoyed, which allows me to, yeah. for instance, copy something on my phone and then paste it in on my, you know, desktop or laptop or whatever, as long as I'm, I'm using my Apple ID and I'm logged into both of these. So that kind of magic and being able to work together with the devices really, really is powerful. Yep. So, um, yeah, I'd, I'd encourage you to, to, uh, to watch the whole thing. And what you might do, and I wish I had done this as I was watching it, you know, is just have the, have the old, uh, you know, yellow notepad here and, and scroll scroll down some things because it is such rapid fire and you're yes. like, Whoa, wait a minute. And then sometimes they're not going to dive, you know, thoroughly into that. And you're like, wow, that could really be a game changer. So yeah. Lots uh, of stuff. notes. Uh, I, um, uh, by the way, it's not just nerds. There's research behind this. that says having multiple monitors is really important. And if you are not, um, I, you know, I have a two monitor setup. 
home, I do three monitor set up at work. Um, uh, you know, I, I think it's important to productivity. And again, it's not just me like, Oh my God, look at my monitors. I'm such a, a you know, nerd king. It's, it's that it, there's a productivity, uh, a notable productivity, uh, vetted in research here. But I mean, the, the answer, um, you know, for me previous to, uh, kind of being back in the Apple universe is this is a USB, a USB C, uh, a portable monitor that it basically looks like a big tablet and it's not touch at all, but, um, uh, the, uh, it, it's, it's by made by ACES. It's pretty cheap. I think I got this for under 200 bucks and I do have a case for it that, uh, you know, this plus actually this plus really any, any laptop I've used this plus Chromebook means two monitors, this plus Mac, uh, a pro two monitors, this plus a windows PC, but that means I'm carrying something that has, you know, really just that singular purpose, right? And um, if I'm, you know, if I'm traveling in a car, it's no big deal. Uh, if, you know, I'm just in the coffee shop in the morning, it's easy to throw this in the back of my car and have it available to me when I'm working in a coffee shop. But I am looking forward to traveling at some point again. Um, and I'll have, you know, my, my, my Mac or M1 Mac Pro and my, my iPad. I bought a used iPad 3 Air earlier this year. And that sidecar feature, it's not in it. There, there were apps that used to be able to do this on, on the iPad, but it was always kind of funky and there was delays and degradation of the signal. Sidecar's amazing. And it really does provide the second monitor experience in something you might be carrying around with you anyways, because you like to watch video on it or you like to FaceTime on it. And yeah, it's very, very, very clever feature um, on, on iPad OS. And you do have to have though pretty recent hardware to realize that particular feature. So, yep. and my, my last thought on WWDC is more of a general one. And that is filtering our feeds, filtering the information landscape, having trusted sources that we go to to help us figure out what is worth paying attention to. That is so important. Um, I did share a little plug for Twitter <clears throat> in the closing presentation this, for the first time ever. This was the sixth year I've been at my, my school. And, and probably it's because everyone's getting a new machine and it really gave reason for the tech department to meet with everybody. Uh, but we were able, we gave six presentations, uh, I and our, our technology manager, um, with each, uh, each one of our divisions and, and, and then some makeups. But anyway, I mentioned I hadn't really plugged Twitter a lot. And, and sometimes, I don't know if anybody else has felt this way if you're a Twitter user, but sometimes at, at, at times in my life, I felt a little weird because I, I literally like live in a different world than most people in terms of educational Twitter. And, and so sometimes you might feel a little reticent to be able to share that. But I was, we were talking about Google updates. I was sharing Eric Kurtz. Shout out to Eric if you don't follow him and what they do with the Google Educator Group in Ohio. And it is just phenomenal. Again, because Google IO and all this Google stuff, what do you pay attention to? You know, the, the folks that you are paying, that you are listening to. Um, who can help filter your feeds. That's really critical. But I just say that because I think media diet, back to the conversation we were talking earlier about YouTube, uh, is really important, you know? And I believe that we need to encourage not just students, and they may be organically doing this already, but adults as well, to definitely expand their media diet and diversify their media diet beyond just a, you know, a single, you know, mainstream 
television source. You know, I'll, yep. I'll channel, channel my Neil Postman there, but it is really, really important. Um, and of course it's complicated, you know, because polluted landscape and there's all kinds of voices and there's all kinds of, uh, rabbit holes out there and, uh, things we can, you know, trip and fall down in and, um, and, and get, you know, caught up in, but Hey, shysters and tricksters and mafiosos and all these different folks have been around for a long time. Now it just happens that, you know, people are using digital tools to <clears throat> try and trick us and, you know, spread disinformation and make us scared and, and um, all these kinds of things. So Dr. Neifer, I think we've got about 20, 18 more minutes left. Well, uh, let's just talk like about some more Apple crap because I found a couple of <laughs> interesting articles too. Okay. Um, I'm really fascinated by AirTags in part because the functionality, I understand why uh, the, the other products in this space are so terrified by Apple being in the space. It's not just that it's integrated well into the product. That, that's part of it. But the feature sets are so, 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 far ahead of the alternatives. And um, there's a really great article uh, from uh, 9to5Mac on June 3rd that talks about some of the privacy improvements, one of which includes an Android app coming uh, in in uh, the direction of, of Google users. And one of the reasons why is that um, part of the problem is that if you're being targeted by an AirTag, right, someone slipped one into your backpack or into your car, of an Apple device, app, you know, it's supposed to tell you that there's been a AirTag following you around that it doesn't recognize, right? It's a it's a safety feature, right? Um, and it hasn't worked nearly as elegantly as one might assume uh, to start off with, but um, uh, but they keep working on it and they're they're iterating very quickly. So the security pieces there are super interesting, but they want to also make sure that Android users have an opportunity, maybe to use the AirTags. I'm not entirely clear. Maybe the article went into this and I just can't whether or not the Android app would have the, you could use it to, to use AirTags, right? But this notion that they're providing some enhanced security, I think is super interesting. So if you are concerned about AirTag privacy, that that's a place to go. But there was a wonderful um, uh, video on YouTube. The channel's called Mega Leg. Uh, uh, we still have to work a little bit in the channel names uh, <laughs> on the YouTube. But uh, on June 1st, that uh, a gentleman in Germany, and I think he's an American or maybe a Brit in in uh, expat in Germany, uh, decided to ship um, uh, air tags in packages. Now I've seen a couple videos like this, right? Because um, you know, obviously, uh, it is you know 2021. There is an extraordinary amount of uh, you know data available when you ship a package, right? Like where it's at. Uh, I noticed today I was getting a UPS package, and I could click on a link and see where the truck was literally located at. Um, so that I can get a sense of when it was coming. Um, I won't mention what I bought just because I, it would be ridiculously mockable with, uh, the way I buy tech. But, uh, this gentleman shipped three air tags, one to Elon Musk, one to Tim Cook, and one to North Korea. And, um, uh, uh, I'll talk about the, the Musk and the Cook one first. Um, made it to the buildings, you know, from there. And he did put a note in there explaining what it was and what his experiment was, but it gave him much more accurate tracking information uh, because remember it uses every iPhone to help track the location of that, right? Like that's the point of these air tags is they use all these dispersed devices. And, um, 
you know, he thought maybe that uh, Apple One, for example, the Tim Cook might not make it to Apple Campus because it started off in a large warehouse that was off the Apple Campus that I would imagine sorts the extraordinary amount of postal mail that comes to, you know, the, the folks at, at, at Apple um, one infinite loop, uh, that, uh, you know, it's part of that process. Um, and it didn't make it to the campus. That's as far as, as the video went. The North Korea one was super interesting because, um, he started off by talking about the estimates of the number of iPhones in North Korea. And it's, it's not, it's not, uh, it, it's not zero. I believe if I remember correctly, it was closer to 70 or 80,000 iOS devices in North Korea. The question, of course, is that if they're a modern device, it's getting new copies of the operating system. Um, also, North Korea has several uh, sanctions against it. I imagine that they have to very craftily import uh, iPhones to there. And also consumer electronics, uh, Internet electronics sold in North Korea are uh, don't go to the open internet. They go to an internal version of the internet that has no access to the outside. So that that's an important barrier there too. Unfortunately, it never left. Uh, it just disappeared. Uh, it just never left, uh, seemingly left uh, uh, Europe. And so uh, he's not really sure what happened to it. Um, interesting video that tells a, a pretty interesting story. But um, I, the AirTags is, is one of the most interesting products I've seen from Apple in, in, a, in a long time in that if you really wanted to know where a package was, for example, I mean, for 25 bucks, if you're shipping it back and forth, it's a pretty cheap thing to stick in a, you know, in, in a, a priority mail package and get much more accurate tracking information than you do from the United States Postal Service. Um, and then, of course, it doesn't take much imagination to then think of nefarious things you could do with said technology, but really interesting stuff. Wow. I'm going to raise my privacy flag. And how, is this going to cause us to be a little more aware of having our phones in our pockets, right? Yeah. Because, you know, these air tags are, are connecting to phones and therefore getting this, this more accurate data. And so when we talk about, oh, it's just meta information, it's just the, just the calls that you're having and, but it, all of that location data <clears throat> and, um, I, uh, you know, I haven't had a security clearance for over 20 years. So this is not anything I'm, I'm revealing that is, uh, you know, due to any kind of, of, cl of, uh, of classified access. But, you know, our intelligence services, um, are extremely interested in cell phone tracking. Uh, I am positive that we have had a number of smart weapons dropped in the last few decades as a direct result of cell phone geolocation. So, um, yeah, it just it seems, yeah, it, it, it's an eye opener to realize just how detailed that information is and and how exhaustive it is. I think I just saw and I don't have an article link in, in the show, but, you know, new Google accounts by default have different deletion data, different data deletion defaults than, you know, existing accounts. And and Google is. You know, I would guess being a little reluctant to go down this road, but there they have to, right? This is the tech correction because, you know, if we don't have an adequate response from tech companies in, in self-regulating uh, themselves for a variety of different reasons and a variety of different complaints, you know, then the, the government's going to get in here and regulate. And so <clears throat> anyway, it's, it's uh, you know, not in their interest as a company essentially founded on the tenets of surveillance capitalism to limit that kind of thing, but they are. And, um, 
this also should be part of our curriculum, right? Becoming, you yes. know, aware of the, the kinds of data tracking that is happening, the ways in which it is being weaponized and used in nefarious and malicious ways, the kinds of, of steps that we can take as individuals to protect ourselves and our families, um, you know, and then trying to figure out the line there on what's, you know, what, what, what's too far and what's, what's fine. Yeah, that's okay. And then what, what do we really need to be concerned about both individually, you know, and corporately? So. Yep. Absolutely. All right. Uh, well, I'm um, looking at, there's one article I want to get in because it will, uh, uh, it, it's more timely. Uh, just a note, uh, Amazon's announced that, uh, prime days for, for 2021 will happen on June 21st and 22nd. And, um, you know, obviously, warehouse. Your your audio your audio is really clippy. I'm I'm not actually the, getting any of that. Uh, <laughs> as it as if uh, Jeff Bezos has reached out not, across the ether. Not spelling. I would give a couple pieces of advice here, though. Um, I do not. I'm getting your audio now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm getting your audio now. You you were you were unintelligible there for a little bit. Now your video is frozen. Can you turn off video and just uh, go audio only? Oh, he's he's back in. And there's two. Okay, of- yeah, there's two of you. Okay, so. Let's kick that other one. Kick guest. Man. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, that uh, <laughs> this hurts so much. I kicked um, the guest. So uh, I'll start over. Um, Amazon Prime. Yeah, tell us what it Amazon is. Amazon Prime Day is June 21st and June 22nd. And obviously, it's the ultimate day to be, you know, a tech hoarder if that's your thing, you know, like me. But um, I want to give a couple pieces of advice here because I don't buy a ton of stuff on Prime Day. But if you have something you've been waiting around for, and in this particular case, and I still have them. I think they're under a desk here somewhere on, on a clip. But the first time I bought a really good set of Bluetooth headphones uh, was on Amazon Prime Day. I think it was Amazon Prime Day 2016, I think. But, I, you know, uh, I, I've been waiting for them for a while. I wanted a nice pair of Sony ones. Um, and I, w- I didn't want to pay $250 for them. And it turned out that I was able to buy. I knew exactly what I wanted. I kept an eye out for them. And I paid half price of what I would have paid retail, uh, not necessarily what I would have paid on Amazon before, because few things are actually retail price on Amazon. But also, if you're looking for a an Amazon device, usually those are dirt cheap uh, on Prime Days. And um, I've read extraordinary reviews of the uh, Amazon um, Fire Tablet 10, the newest one, uh, is getting really great reviews from reviewers. It's probably going to be $100 or less on Prime Day. So if you're looking for, you know, coming with an agenda, otherwise you will leave there with way, way too many impulse purchases. But it's a really great opportunity if you've had something that's been on your list for a while and you're looking for a solid price to usually get something that that's, that uh, is a pretty solid deal. And the other thing I'd say is don't be afraid to look at refurbished devices and also yes. maybe neck, uh, previous gen devices. Yep. My wife and I have been dreaming of Kindles, especially, you mm-hmm. know, summertime and 
you know, iPads and, and iPhones just get really hot out in the sun. Yep. Uh, and so today, actually, uh, we got Gen 5, which is one generation back, and they're not waterproof, but they were like 50 bucks each. I mean, they were yep. like less than half the cost of the brand new one. So, you know, kind of like with iPhones. I, I posted something uh, recently about having an iPhone 8, and someone was like in the comments, maybe the problem is you got such an old iPhone. But it's like, hey, man, this thing is great. I mean, yes, could I have a better camera? Could it be a little faster? I guess, you know, and yeah, I still have this home button, but anyway, we're in this day with, with tech and chips and, and all this where the, you know, old, older generation stuff can be pretty exceptional. So yeah. I just wish that they would have the Google max, that speaker. That's, that's what I would really like to, uh, you know, jump for. And I doubt Amazon is going to probably have, I don't even think they sell Google smart speakers being the Alexa you know, bastion that they are. So yep. can I ask what, is there anything that's on your short list for? Uh... Probably not. I mean, I've, you know, I, in, in, like I mentioned before the, uh, you know, our travel budget, uh, uh you know, I, I, we stopped counting the number of trips that, that, that we've canceled. And I'm not even talking about like big trips, you know, uh, trips to see family, uh, in, in, in around the United States, we had a lot of stuff planned in the last year and a half that just didn't happen. So I have not gone without, um, so, but, um, I will be recovering for surgery in those two days. Um, and I will say that I don't need it, but if there was a portable Bluetooth speaker that had a USB-C connector, my current, uh, daily carry that, that goes around in my travel pack is, is, is got a micro USB. That's the dumbest reason ever to upgrade, but I have plenty of family I can hand on, uh, uh, tech, tech toys too. Um, but, um, maybe something like that. Okay, we got five minutes uh, or four, whatever. The security articles. Would you mind picking those up? Because both yeah. of those are actually pretty, pretty good, and I hadn't. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um. So Bloomberg reported on June fourth that the Colonial Pipeline uh, uh, hack from a number of weeks back was from a compromised password, and a compromised password is a password that from some site. Right, that you utilized a password on. So you had an account at so and so dot com, and you use the same password on another site. Right, you're using the same passwords over and over and over again. And as it turns out, there have been thousands of compromised password databases in the last twenty years. And if you're still using, you know, your dog, your dog's name, and your favorite sports club, um, you know, it, you know, plain phrasing that not only could be a, a, a dictionary attack uh, a vulnerable, but probably has been in one of these hacks, um, you're being at risk. And, you know, we're talking about a higher level account at Colonial Pipeline that was using the same password in a compromised site database and not locally. And I know it's a pain in the butt. and I know it's hard but you should be using a different password on every single website and then using a password manager. And again, I, uh, Dr. Fryer very kindly refers to me as some kind of poster boy for this. I'm still working on this project, right? It's been two years now since I started working this and I still run into websites that I, that, that, uh, you know, from counts from 15 years ago that have a password that really needs to be changed. And, and I do when I want to cost them, but especially if you're working in it, especially if you're working with, uh, systems where you're an administrator or if you yourself are a school administrator and have access to student data, you know, most student data is of relatively low value. It doesn't really matter if the, you know, uh, the French grades from third period get out. 
But that's that that's going to cause a lot of FUD, fear, uncertainty, and doubt, and it's going to be terribly embarrassing. And it's preventable because you can you should be using a different password on every site. Absolutely. Okay. Um, I think that's it, right? Yeah. Oh no, okay. no, 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 no. Uh, do the FBI director one. Okay, great. Uh, wonderful article from Sunday's Wall Street Journal. Um, I would recommend reading the whole thing. It basically talks about ransomware is a 9-11 level threat to the United States. And the fact that we've had two major ransomware attacks in 2021 that have been enough to get the attention of the White House with hundreds of smaller attacks that, that have impacted much, much smaller institutions tells you it is a really, really, really big deal. And, um, you know, uh, the meatpacking industry and the petroleum industry are not, um, you know, low level businesses. They are important to America, right? To our national security, to our domestic security, to our transportation, to our food supply. And they have both been uh, targeted to this. And I think that um, uh, the FBI director is correct that uh, it, we have to see it this way. And, you know, ransomware attacks are usually in some ways socially engineered attacks, right? That they try to create some mechanism for you to share a password or log in or to put down your guard temporarily to be able to get access to, to, to that content. Um, you yourself need to be careful. You need to help your family be careful. And if you're in a school setting, you need to help your colleagues be careful. And folks, this is one of these things that we should really just be jumping up and down, yelling, whooping. And I mean, this, this is such a big deal. We have had multiple canaries in the coal mine and it is time to wake up and and freaking pay attention. Uh, we, we've, we need to be, I mean, my, my TEDx talk, my third one is, is hopefully going to be published here in the fall, uh, that I shared back in April. And it's about protecting your family. And it is, you know, uh, the, the number one vector for attacks that are affecting companies and, and taking folks down. It's phishing attacks. It's um, attacks that we're, we're getting, you know, through our email um, and, you know, ransomware and, and these kinds of attacks are it's just it, the, 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 the scale at which this will affect our society. We have not yet really tasted we have seen a little bit of it, and when we just had that bump in, in fuel prices and, and this pipeline issue, you know, we had the Florida company, uh, what was now six months ago, where somebody hacked in and changed the, you know, amount of chemicals that was in the water that could have resulted in the water being poisoned, and somebody saw it, and they were able to take action. But our systems are becoming more and more dependent upon very complex technological internet connected systems. As a result of being internet connected, they are incredibly vulnerable. And the number of folks who are out to get the United States, and again, watch Peter Singer's HBO special, The Perfect Weapon. You know, I haven't read his book. I've just seen this special, but cyber is huge. And we have got to take it seriously as, as uh, individuals. And I will say this for the record, we, you and I, everybody, we need to be thinking about <clears throat> literally, I'm not talking about in a prepper, like crazy, we're going to have a civil war sort of thing. I'm just saying the grid goes down for a while. 
that is not, I mean, Texas just had this happen and they could have evidently been down for weeks and weeks if the folks managing the grid had not taken action so quickly when we had that really bad, you know, ice uh, and snowstorm and cold snap. But um, we're vulnerable, folks. We are vulnerable. And, you know, I do not want to, to be fear led. And I don't think that, you know, that's that's the, the number one way to motivate people. But on the other hand, one of the benefits of sitting here with Jason pretty much every week, which, by the way, we're going to have uh, a couple watch our Twitter because we'll, they'll, they'll, we'll be taking some weeks off here in, in the summertime coming up. But one of the benefits of sitting here and listening to these articles and reading this stuff and talking about it is we see patterns and, and we, we put together pieces. And this is absolutely one of those things that I've been putting together more and more, not just because I was a director of technology for a, a you know independent school for four years, although that had a big a lot to do with it. So thank you for sharing those articles. I know that's taken us just a little bit over the top of the hour, but so, so important. Absolutely. All right. Well, Wes, it will appear to be six minutes after. Let's do the Geeks of the Week. Okay, sounds good. Um, I'm going to overshare. Uh, ArcGIS Story Maps. Uh, Carla Bishop is a wonderful educator who um, has actually been doing research from an MIT with an MIT grant on uh, historic black uh, communities in the state of Oklahoma, and I'm going to be able to learn more from her this summer at the Summer Institute for Digital Literacy, which I'll put a link in. But she uh, loves telling stories and stories that are connected to place. And this ARC GIS story maps is phenomenal. I'm going to be using it this summer, and it's just a tool to really dive into uh, and, and tell some digital stories. River Runner. I actually tweeted that uh, ArcGIS story maps to Alan Levine, CogDog, tonight, and then happened to see on his uh, website this uh, tweet that he had shared to River Runner. You click anywhere on the United States and drop a raindrop, and then watch the flyover as it shows exactly where that drop of water goes in each tributary and, and stream and river going into the ocean. It is freaking amazing. This is one of the most, I mean, as somebody who loves geography and, um, you know, earth science, I, I shared this with my wife tonight and she's like, oh my gosh, I think we need to do a project because she's been talking, she's a science, you know, sim and science teacher and talking to the social science teacher. Phenomenal. And then the last one is the Minecraft curse binding enchantment. Okay. So we've had three days of Minecraft camp. You know, I'm learning all kinds of things from the kids. When we start off the day, we teleport them into this briefing room and we clear out their inventory and turn them into adventure mode, not creative mode. And they're supposed to lose all their stuff. Well, kids want to keep their stuff. And so one of the uh, like fourth graders, I guess, had figured out you can use an ender chest if it exists somewhere else in the world, then you can put your stuff in it and still spawn it. But I found out today there is a curse binding enchantment, which means your armor stays on you until you die. And so the moderators and I were literally having a conversation today. Should we kill our campers <laughs> so that we can remove their armor? And I'm like, no, I, I don't think so. I think at some point this is just like really great creativity and kids figuring out stuff. It's just really kind of amazing because they were like, I can't take this off. They've used curse binding enchantments. You didn't need to know that, but it's <laughs> kind of crazy. What do you got for us, Dr. Knight? Well, I just wanted to note, uh, I'm on River Runner and it's really cool. Um, I'm, what I'm trying to figure out though is that, uh, is it accurate? It is accurate. Montana is the only state in the union where um, uh, water ends up uh, going uh, 
to all, well, in three directions. It goes west to the Pacific Ocean. It, it ends up in the, the Missouri, then the Mississippi River and the Gulf of Mexico. It also goes north into Canada, uh, in the far northern part of Montana. And I want to make sure that was accurate. And as it turns out, it is. It doesn't show you it in Canada, but it shows you the route out to the United States. So, a uh, quality, cool, cool, cool website. So, um, I just want to focus on, uh, next week. And I think I mentioned this earlier this year, uh, DLAC, the Digital Learning Annual Conference. It's now in its third year. It was actually the last event I, or no, the, uh, second to last event I went to before the shutdown uh, last year. It's usually in Austin, although uh, next year I believe it's Atlanta. They're doing a hybrid this year where it's part online and part face-to-face. They are holding uh, the face-to-face event. It's the first major event in EdTech. Uh, it'll be in Austin next week, but they have online slots available. I'm presenting twice next week. Uh, one presentation on how to build local support teams around at-risk credit recovery students for, for success in distance learning. And then secondarily, I'm going to present a um, uh, uh, what is kind of a, an introspective uh, uh, presentation on uh, starting to drill down when distance learning is not working, not because the model is wrong, but understanding why it's not working for, for, for select kids. In other words, taking the notion of individualization and also applying it to how we build support teams around students to make them successful. So, uh, uh, uh DLAC, great conference, wonderful people. And then you can see me present online next week. And the mountain moot is coming to us again in July. So yes. And free again too, I might add. So. So great. All right. Well, I am W Fryer on Twitter, westfriar.com slash after if you would like to find my other links. And I am at Tech Savvy Teach on Twitter. And I know I need to redo my personal webpage, nifer.com, N E I double F E R.com. Um, and I think I might, I don't know. I don't need, I, I need another pro- technology project like I need, uh, well, a new hip. And, um, yet, uh, uh, I probably will redo that page at some point. All right. Well, we will most likely be off next week, but stay tuned. We will let you know on Twitter. Uh, again, there will be some uh, holiday breaks coming up for us. Are you good on the 23rd, actually? Um, I, week after? Maybe. 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 Just, it's a how <laughs> surgery goes. There, so. There's a possibility, folks, we could be off for four weeks, but uh, we'll let you know on Twitter. And until next time, we encourage everybody out there to stay savvy, stay safe, and get on those passwords. All right? Get to changing them. There's great tools out there to do that. Take care, everyone.